We're on the record. I'm Sheila Cass. Good morning. A lot of news lately has been focused on a legislative body riven by tensions, where the minority party is almost as numerous as the majority, and where the majority, if it succeeds in passing legislation, will face almost certain vetoes by the executive. This is not Annapolis. As the Maryland General Assembly convenes today for its 445th session, the contrast with politics in Congress could not be sharper. Voters sent more Democrats to Annapolis, boosting their already veto-proof majorities in both the House and the Senate. The corollary is that the Republican minority is smaller than last session. And veto-proof majorities may seem less urgent to Democrats now that, for the first time in eight years, they will be sending bills to a Democratic governor. What do Democratic legislative leaders intend to do with these propitious conditions? Maybe getting to a higher minimum wage faster, firmer protection of abortion rights, and expanded workforce opportunities, plus the unfinished business of setting up a system of paid family and medical leave and a structure for producing, regulating, and taxing recreational cannabis. Here to walk us through some of the top issues is the founding editor of the news site Maryland Matters, Josh Kurtz. Kurtz began covering the State House in 1995 for the Gazette newspapers and has been reporting on Maryland politics ever since. Welcome back to the show, Josh. Thanks so much, Sheila. Great to be with you. And Pamela Wood is with us. She is a government and politics reporter for the Baltimore Banner. Welcome back, Pamela. Thanks so much for having me. Let's start with recreational cannabis. In the November election, the voters approved making it legal next July 1st, this coming July 1st. On midday, Senate President Bill Ferguson of Baltimore City told Tom Hall the legislature needs to create a licensing system and then... We have to figure out what to tax and how to tax it and then where the dollars go. Where the dollars go is incredibly, incredibly important because we need to make sure that it's flowing into communities who have been um, suffering the most over the last 50 years of the failed war on drugs. We need to use these revenues to ensure that people have more opportunity, particularly those who have been negatively impacted. And third is really making sure that we're doing right by the um, restoration of people's rights, uh, again, who have suffered um, because of a failed war on drugs. President Ferguson is talking there about expunging criminal records. Pamela, how complicated is it going to be to set up a recreational cannabis regime? Yeah, voters will recall that just this past November, we were all asked about the question of legalization of marijuana for adults. But that question on the ballot, you know, left unresolved so many technical issues. The General Assembly is going to have to figure out who should get licenses to produce and sell the drugs? What happens to the medical cannabis companies that are already in the market? What's the tax rate? Where do the taxes go? And as President Ferguson noted, the issue of expungement. There's general agreement here that lawmakers want to be able to take people who have marijuana possession convictions on their record and and, and wipe that out. But there's a lot of details that have to go into that as well. And also, as he mentioned, you know, redress of some of the problems from the war on drugs. You know, there's many largely black and brown communities that were, you know, over-policed and, and harmed by that war on drugs. And they want to start the path of kind of making up for that in, in whatever way they can. So that's a lot that they have on their plate with marijuana. Will they get it done this session? Uh, President Ferguson told me that for sure they want to have a package to the new governor's desk about 
licensing, taxation, and at least the start of you know expungement and community investment. But especially on that last item, President Ferguson told me that this may be a multi-year effort as they learn more and figure out uh, more things that they can try and do. Josh, how big an economic boon are lawmakers expecting from licensing and taxing cannabis? They're they're expecting a big, a pretty big one. It's interesting that while the state is setting up this very complex regime, there have been a few national stories, uh, news stories lately that suggest that maybe the revenue streams won't be quite as big as um, state leaders had hoped around the country. That there's now so much legal cannabis available. I believe it's 19 states right now um, that the revenues won't be quite as robust as uh, people are hoping, but it's still going to be, you know, in the, the millions and eventually billions of dollars over over time. And uh, I mean, that's very significant. And I mean, as Pam said, it's just this, I think, is going to be the most complex issue facing the legislature this year. And it's going to involve multiple committees. And, and uh, there are just so many issues to focus on. And Josh, legislators also put themselves on a schedule last year when they approved paid family and medical leave. What what do they still have to sort out with that? Well, I mean, they really have to they have to sort out how it's going to get administered, and and also just sort of who pays. It's going to be sort of a, a combination of employers chipping in something, employees getting something taken out of their paychecks to set, set up this system. We don't really know what the balance is going to be yet, but uh, they're going to try to set it up uh, this year. This is On the Record on WIPR. I'm Sheila Cast, speaking with Josh Kurtz of the new site Maryland Matters and Pamela Wood of the Baltimore Banner. Pamela, the right to abortion care is protected in Maryland law. What more is the legislature looking at doing? That's right, Sheila. Dating back to the early 1990s, uh, Maryland passed a law enshrining the right uh, to have reproductive choice, to have an abortion. Um, So it's been on the books, and that law has never really been threatened in any serious way. But there is one step further, and that is putting that same protection in the Maryland Constitution. That's been considered for the past few years. It hasn't passed, but last summer with the Supreme Court decision overturning Roe v. Wade, that's given some new urgency to supporters of abortion rights and abortion access. And uh, we're told by legislative leaders that the constitutional amendment will be passed this year, and then it would go to voters in 2024 to give that one step further protection. When... Tom Hall interviewed House Speaker Adrienne Jones for Midday this week. She drew a link between Governor Hogan's decision in June 2015 to kill the red line and the surge in crime in Baltimore. I think had we had those funds, I I fully believe, and I've talked to other people over the years about it, that we may not have the the crime that we have. Because when you put people to quality work, because it started out at... um, insecurity and there's a there's a lot lot of job opportunities you know beyond social security fbi and all these other types of uh, places of employment and it went directly to the, the to the city so going from the county to the city then i think that had that you know was able to happen and it wasn't with state money it was federal money i think it made a world of difference to what we're we're at today in terms of 
the crime. Josh, what is on the legislature's agenda when it comes to curbing crime? For several years, uh, the legislature has had to deal with Governor Hogan's anti-crime proposals, which they by and large uh, rejected, which they found just too too harsh, too draconian, too conservative, uh, use whatever word you'd like. Um, I think there's definitely a recognition that they want to do something about uh, the availability of guns in communities. Um, but then beyond that, it's a, it's it's a little unclear yet. I think they're waiting for some signs from the new administration too about what they're looking for, and um, and I think also you know there's still these ongoing discussions about um, police reform and uh, and criminal justice reform. So I mean I think this is all kind of in the mix. The two committees that most handle this stuff, House Judiciary and Senate Judicial Proceedings are changing a lot. They've got a lot, several new members. And so I think there's really going to be a fresh look at kind of what needs to be done. And with, uh, you know, legislative leaders now working in harmony with the new governor. You mentioned guns, Josh. Maryland's system of requiring permits to carry a concealed weapon was found unconstitutional by the U.S. Supreme Court last year. What now? Well, I think that's a big question. Um, Legislative leaders are saying they want to, you know, make sure the state is complying with the federal ruling, with the federal law, but without, uh, you know, making guns more prevalent on the streets. So it's going to be a bit of a balance. And, uh, you know, it'll be interesting to see if whatever they pass, whether that then, you know, passes muster in the courts. Pamela, the attorney general's office compiled a report documenting generations of abuse within the Catholic Archdiocese of Baltimore by priests and other archdiocese officials. That report has not been made public. There's a big legal fight over that. But victims say the current law is hindering their ability to seek justice. What's the issue? And will lawmakers take this on? Yeah, the issue here is that for survivors of child sexual abuse, you know, there's no statute of limitation on criminal charges against abusers. But those cases, you know, rarely work out. There's often very little evidence. And so survivors want to turn to civil remedies by filing a lawsuit under uh, current law, which was expanded a couple of years ago. They only have until age 38 to file a lawsuit, uh, particularly against organizations that employed or enabled abusers. So think churches, schools, you know, sports organizations and the like. And, you know, honestly, a lot of people don't come to grips and understand that they were abused until much later in life. They are seeking to have those time limits lifted and this report about just generations of terrible abuse, you know, within the church has kind of renewed uh, attention to the effort and and really reinvigorated the advocates who have been down here in Annapolis year after year, um, trying trying to get some relief through the civil courts. Josh, President Ferguson, Senate President Ferguson, is pushing for more resources for mental health, especially for young people. Do you have any sense of how, how that may play out? I think there's a good bit of support for that because I think uh, Speaker Jones is also uh, uh, supportive of that. And that's going to that's gonna take on a few different approaches. There's going to be, um, you know, most likely more money available for more beds, just mental health beds for youth to, to get treatment quickly. Um, there's going to be, 
you know, probably more money made available for, you know, even just mental health facilities and just having more of them around the state. And then I think, you know, there's also a recognition that you don't, you know, mental health is kind of an ongoing issue and that you don't just like get treated once and then you're done. And so I think, you know, there's going to be an effort to make sure that providers have enough resources to follow up and keep in touch with clients, uh, keep on top of cases. And I think there is going to be an emphasis on, you know, youth mental health, but I think it's going to go farther than that and, and, and include more services for adults as well. We need to take a short break here on the record. When we're back with Pamela Wood of the Baltimore Banner and Josh Kurtz of Maryland Matters, money and jobs. I'm Sheila Cass. Stay with us. I'm Al Waller. I'm Katherine Collinson. And I'm Mihaela Vince. In upcoming episodes of Clear Path, Your Roadmap for Life, we'll discuss ways to catch up on retirement savings and the importance of self-care. Tune in to WYPR's website and mobile app, all major podcast platforms, and transamericainstitute.org. Welcome back to On the Record. I'm Sheila Cast. With just a week left in Republican Larry Hogan's term as governor, the Democratic leaders of both houses of the General Assembly say rebuilding state government is a top priority. Here's Senate President Bill Ferguson on midday. There are 6,500 vacancies across state government executive agencies. It's the most we've ever seen. Uh, And what that means is not only is it a challenge for those vacant positions and the work assigned for what would be those folks in those vacant positions, it's those who are, are in filled positions that are feeling totally stretched and overwhelmed. We're talking about the legislature's priorities with two veteran reporters, Pamela Wood of the Baltimore Banner and Josh Kurtz, founding editor of Maryland Matters. Josh, is the General Assembly's role in restaffing the executive branch just to appropriate more money? That's an interesting question. I think that's kind of the that's kind of the initial thought, but I think there's also going to be some discussions with the new governor because I think Governor Moore wants to reimagine state government in a certain way. And yes, filling filling jobs is important, but there are going to be discussions about retooling certain agencies and and making new priorities and having new oversight. So, I mean, it's going to be kind of an ongoing conversation. I think the first order of business is going to be finding the funding to make sure that all these positions are filled. But there'll be there'll be many facets to this uh, debate. Pamela, because of a constitutional amendment voters approved four years ago, the legislature has more power in setting the budget that takes effect for the first time this year. Explain, explain the change. Yeah, I'm not sure how many folks realized in 2020 what they were voting on, but uh, we all we all voted and there was a question that granted more flexibility and more authority in the budget process to the General Assembly 
Previously, Maryland's governor, all of the Maryland governors, had uniquely powerful control over the budget that they would introduce it to lawmakers who could only cut money. And once they cut money, they couldn't rearrange it or or add anywhere else. Now they'll have an ability to do that. So they'll have sort of a greater say. We could see more negotiations back and forth between the executive branch and the legislative branch. Lawmakers can kind of make their priorities you know, better known in the budget than they could previously. Now, of course, this came about during divided government when there was a Republican governor and a Democratic-led legislature. Now it's all Democrats. So I'm interested to see how much they exercise this new budget authority. And of course, this change in the General Assembly's budget authority comes when there's a lot of cash on hand, a big surplus, and yet there is a recession possibly on its way. So how are th- how are legislative leaders looking at their spending options? Well, I think they're going to both add a little bit to the state's rainy day fund, which is already pretty robust. But I think they also recognize that this is a unique moment to do some big things with spending, particularly with so much federal largesse coming down the pike. And A lot of these federal programs require the states and local governments to move pretty quickly to to take advantage of what's out there. So I think uh, there's going to be a balancing. I I don't think there's going to be sort of reckless drunken sailor spending, but I think you'll you'll see a lot of uh, new initiatives coming down too to take advantage of the federal money. Pamela, Maryland's minimum wage. Um, is scheduled to get to $15 an hour in 2025. Will the legislature speed that up, get there faster? Well, uh, Governor-elect Wes Moore, one of the things he talked about on the campaign trail was accelerating that increase to $15 an hour, um, wanting to do it as early as this year. Uh, I see that as a as a challenge. Um, even though a lot of people see the the, the value and the benefits, uh, especially to workers of raising that wage, $15 an hour is not a lot of money. Uh, but there are challenges to employers as well, particularly small businesses. Um, you know, with inflation, the cost of everything running a business is high. And, and I think we will hear from those small business owners who, you know, there's a sympathetic ear for them in Annapolis. If he pushes forward with this, I expect there to be a robust debate on that this year. Another thing that um, Westmore campaigned on was creating the opportunity for a year of service for young people. I, I don't pick up that legislators are as excited about that as he is, but Pamela, do we know how a year of service would work? Yeah, Governor-elect Westmore has talked in in general terms about this year of service. You know, it'd be something where you know teenagers after graduating could actually get paid uh, to to do work in in public interest in public service. You know, and he's talked about you know maybe some state money, some private investment. We'll, ha- we'll have to see where that goes. This is a shared interest of uh, President Ferguson, um, but but really we don't have a lot of details of, of how he would fund it and how he would do it and, and where this ranks on his priorities uh, for the new governor. Josh, is there potentially a tug of war between spending on the proposed year of service and spending on apprenticeships? I mean, Senate President Ferguson seems excited about making more apprenticeships for more careers available to young people who are not going to college. Yeah, it all it, it all sounds like part part of a piece. Actually, um, the the state did set aside last year about twenty five million dollars in money to boost uh, 
apprentice programs and workforce development programs. They haven't quite figured out how it's going to work yet. So I think that's going to be one of the issues um, the Senate works on because it is one of President Ferguson's top priorities. And it may mesh with Governor-elect Moore's year of service, or they may turn out to be separate things. But, um, you know, I think that's, I mean, certainly providing opportunities is a top priority for the new governor and and expanding opportunities. And so I think this is going to be a major conversation. But but as but as Pam said, we haven't really seen a specific proposal yet out of the more shop. So we'll see uh, we'll see what it all looks like. That's Josh Kurtz, founding editor of the news site Maryland Matters. Here on The Record on WIPR, I'm Sheila Cast. Also with us is Baltimore Banner politics and government reporter Pamela Wood. We're talking about some of the issues we can expect the General Assembly to work on during the next 90 days. Let me broaden out here a bit. Is the Hogan era over a week into this session after Westmore and Aruna Miller are inaugurated? Will anything in the workings of Annapolis reflect that Larry Hogan was governor for eight years? Pamela? Yeah, I mean, we had eight years of divided government, and and we saw Governor Hogan and the legislature, you know, often not working together, sometimes working together. I think that that was, you know, useful exercise. I think both sides learned uh, from from what that's like. Um, And, you know, we'll see how different it's going to be having, you know, all Democratic leadership uh, in the Statehouse with Governor Moore. Josh, do you think there's going to be any difference in how the General uh, Assembly in Annapolis in general works because I do. Hogan uh, was there. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, Pam is right. The, I mean, the, the interesting thing is the legislature kind of figured out how to work around Hogan for eight years. And, you know, in some ways, the governor figured out how to work around the legislature. Now the, the, the legislature, the presiding officers are very invested in Governor Moore succeeding. So um, it's just going to be a different dynamic. I think you will see the legislature hanging back on some key issues to wait for initiatives to emanate from the governor's office. So, you know, they have learned a lot. They, you know, have shown that they can pass legislation without the governor's support because they did it over and over and over again. But it's still going to be a different dynamic. And, you know, I think in a lot of ways, the Hogan influence will will pass quickly, particularly because, you know, there aren't very many Republicans like Governor Hogan anymore, and that becomes an issue even in Annapolis, I think. And real quickly, before we go, um, Lieutenant Governor-elect Aruna Miller served in the House of Delegates from 2010 to 2019, but Governor-elect Moore has no experience in government. Pamela, does this create an opening for the legislature to take advantage of? It's certainly possible. Um, as you noted, Governor-elect Moore doesn't really have governor governing experience. He did spend one year uh, at the White House as a fellow in his 20s. That's not the same as being a county executive or a mayor or a lawmaker, you know, bringing experience in. And, you know, these, these folks in the legislature, the presiding officers, have a lot of experience. There are a lot of members who've been here a while. They know how the levers of government work, how, how the power works, how to write bills and, and, and get things done. Uh, so I'll be interested to see if they do really take a step forward in uh, you know, control controlling the agenda here in Annapolis. But, you know, we're all waiting with bated breath to hear more from Governor-elect Moore, and we're hoping, at least after he's inaugurated, maybe he'll give us some more details of his priorities and, and how he's going to govern. 
And I'm waiting with bated breath to hear both of your reporting over the next 90 days. Thanks for this conversation. Thank you. Thank you so much. Josh Kurtz is the founding editor of the news site Maryland Matters. Pamela Wood is a government and politics reporter at the Baltimore Banner. The legislature convenes at noon today. Democrats Wes Moore and Aruna Miller will take the oath as governor and lieutenant governor a week from today. At the On the Record page at WYPR.org, we have links to recent coverage of this year's anticipated legislative priorities. I'm Sheila Cast. Glad you're with us on the record. Come back tomorrow. <laughs>